welcome to this episode of the Biotechniques Talking Tech News podcast. We will be focusing on antibodies for this instalment, but first some introductions. I'm Abby, the digital editor for Biotechniques. And I'm Tristan, the assistant editor. For this episode, we'll be chatting with the head of open access publishing at Future Science Group, Francesca Lake, all about antibodies. Hi, Francesca. Just as a brief introduction for our listeners, please can you tell us what your favourite thing about open access publishing is? Hi, um, okay, so I'm going to be quite boring here. My favourite thing about open access is the fact that it's accessible. It makes science accessible to everybody, not just researchers at certain institutions. Um, Your mum can access it so she can find out what's going on in research and people in poorer countries can access it, which I think is great. Brill. And of course, we think that open access is great at biotechnics as well. (laughs) Good. (laughs) So, Fran, over to the antibodies. Firstly, I think everyone will be quite familiar by now with the use of antibodies in immunotherapy. That's something that we could do a whole episode about in itself. But there are also some less well-known applications in studies at the moment which are arguably as exciting. Would you like to tell us a bit about some of those applications? Oh gosh, where to start? Okay, so immunotherapy is obviously huge and really exciting at the moment Um, and there's now over 300 companies offering over 2 million antibodies to the market so there's a lot of scope for projects which is really exciting. Some of the big areas right now are infectious diseases, there's work going on for example combining antibodies to try and improve on ART for HIV treatment. A group's um, created a ribosome display SCFV antibody library from which they've managed to identify six clones specific to a Zika protein which should be really good for therapeutics or diagnostics for that disease. Ebola is also seeing some, some success with engineered anti- antibodies which is really exciting and um, the pandemic prevention platform is also doing some really exciting work turning patients into antibody factories which sounds really cool. Um, There's also work going on in precision medicine, so we have techniques like SightSeq now, which uses DNA barcoded antibodies to to detect proteins and convert those signals into a readout, which is exciting. And um, in general, there's a load of new tech advances that have come out recently, which is allowing us to have an increased understanding of antibodies, for example, how they can be so variable with so few genes. Um, so hopefully that will translate into research to treating for, for treating non-communicable diseases like Alzheimer's or cancer. Okay, so you mentioned the um, pandemic prevention platform and turning patients into antibody factories. So does the, the fact that therapeutic or monoclonal antibodies are largely made up of naturally occurring uh, compounds and biological structures bear any sort of particular advantages for their use as therapeutics sort of leading into that? Uh, what am I trying to say, leading into the uh, pandemic prevention platform? Um, Yeah, so, I mean, drug discovery is a really difficult process. Historically, it's all been small molecules, um, and they tend to fail generally at a late stage owing to difficulties translating them into humans, and they cost a huge amount of money. So there's a huge amount of work now on um, doing biologic drugs. Um, antibodies are great in a way because often you know they're already going to be attracted to to something that's of interest, a target, um, and they are likely to have reduced toxicity because, as you mentioned, they're already there. So 
they can't be killing you. Um, harnessing the patient's own immune system for therapeutics is certainly something we're going to see more of in the future. Um, but also on the flip side of that, um, natural antibodies can be really expensive to produce. Um, so people are increasingly looking at synthetic biology processes. Um, so the Ebola, uh, Ebola study I mentioned earlier was a really good example of that. So do you think we've got the full picture on antibodies yet? Or is the full potential of these molecules still yet to be exposed? There's still quite a lot of challenges to be overcome with antibodies, both in terms of understanding them. Um, there's some interesting work going on in that in the, at the moment. The um, Human Vaccine Project I cite in the, um, the paper version of this tech piece is, um, has been looking at gene sequencing and new computer advances to understand um, antibodies a lot more. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to figure out new ways to use them through that. Um, there's a lot of challenges with manufacture that we need to overcome um, in terms of making them affordable to produce and re reliable. And also, generally, we're finding so many new targets for diseases and things all the time. These molecules definitely have a huge potential that we haven't even realised exists yet. So what types of monoclonal antibodies are currently used in the lab? Okay, so there's two types of monoclonal antibodies. There's hybridomas, um, which were the original ones that we manufactured. Um, they were first manufactured by Curdum and Milstein in the 70s, and they're produced in mice and result from a fusion with myeloma cells to give you a long-lived antibody-producing B cell. And there's also recombinant monoclonals, which are built from the ground up using genes. And then there's also, um, there's also polyclonal antibodies that are used in the lab. So um, for those, you take an antigen and put it in, in a mouse or something like that. And then you purify um, some reactive antibodies from the serum and you get, you get a load of different ant of antibodies with different specificities um, to your antigen of interest. And what are the particular strengths and limitations of each of these different types of antibody? Yeah, so each has got strengths and weaknesses. Um, hybridomas have been around for a while, so they're generally quite available. Um, they're generally quite precise and reproducible. Although on the flip side of that, the nature of the hybridoma technology means that um, you can get variability and you can get off-target Binding. There's an interesting article by Bradbury and colleagues which goes into that in quite a lot of depth. Um, recombinant antibodies are cheaper um, and they have greater modification potential. So they could give researchers a lot more control, but they're not as readily available at the moment as hybridomas. And then polyclonals are kind of a bit controversial at the moment um, because they have multi-epitope binding properties, they can be really useful in the right scenario, but people need to be aware that there's only a finite supply of them and batch-to-batch -batch variability can't be controlled for. So that's a problem. So it's a difficult balance selecting which type of antibody you want for each experiment you're going to conduct. There's obviously a, kind of a um, limitation that unites a lot of um, antibodies is that reproducibility issue. Yes, so yeah. I touch a lot on that in the um, the article I wrote on this. 
Um, all three can suffer from reliability or validation issues and there's been quite a lot of work done which which shows that so the um, I mean the human protein atlas did some work where they showed that over half of 5,000 commercial antibodies that they studied could not actually be used for the application they had been used for in some research um, and there was also a 2015 analysis again by Bradbury L which showed that the US spends around $350 million on the wrong antibodies every year. And that issue is not just confined to, to, to the US, but I think that gives you a good idea of the scale of the problem. And it's not just... A big issue is that it's not just confined to your research article. So, for example, um, it came out in 2017 over two decades of research into an estrogen receptor had been completely was completely rubbish because the original paper hadn't validated its antibodies so there was no there was no point even looking at that estrogen receptor wow so the amount of research wasted on that is pretty shocking um so clearly it's something that we need to address what are the potential solutions for these limitations especially that reproducibility issue yeah i think I think one of the issues is that um, validations kind of uncool. Generally, a researcher will have something exciting they want to address. It's not necessarily um, attractive to spend ages validating your antibodies. So um, researchers need to ensure that um, longevity and specificity have been checked before they even start the project. Um, make sure make sure that the antibodies are traceable. There's a big industry in reselling antibodies, so people really need to know where they where they've come from. Um, there's plenty of techniques available now to help ensure validation. Um, that includes ELISAs, knockout cell lines, etc. There's review sites online, and there's openly available checklists which people can use to make sure that they're using the right antibodies for their project. So where do you stand on how it's best to progress in the suppliers versus the end users debate? Um, I think it's down to both the suppliers and the end users. Um, the end, end user needs to understand and validate their own antibodies. And manufacturers need, need to make sure that they're supplying robust antibodies that do what they say they will. And ideally go a bit beyond that, if possible, given that researchers are always doing new things with these things. What direction do you see antibodies going in the future? Can you see them branching out into any new fields? Um, I think we'll see an increased availability of recombinant antibodies um, and a greater understanding by researchers of which types to use and when. Um, I personally like to see universal standards applied, which is something I think we as publishers can help push toward, which hopefully we'll, we'll actually do. Um, and then with less effort spent on, on reproducible, wasted results, I think we'll then have many more research hours to spend on actually doing something useful, which hopefully means we'll get some exciting work done. Brilliant. So that's all we've got time for today. Um, thank you, Fran, for your insight. I think some of the key points have been the validation of antibodies is really important. We as publishers can do something to help there. And the uses of antibodies are continuing to grow as well, which is really exciting. I, yeah, I hope that's been useful. Um, I think if industry and frontline researchers work together, we can really overcome all the issues and get some exciting work done. Um, if people enjoyed hearing about it, I re recommend reading the article in Biotechniques. Um, also, mo most of the references I used are open access, so they can be read too. Amazing. So that's a wrap for our Antibodies Talking Tech News. Um, 
And now let's look forward to next time, where we'll be speaking with Theo Roth, a researcher from the University of California, San Francisco, Marsden Lab. Theo has been making headlines across multiple different news outlets for his groundbreaking work on engineering T-cells more quickly and efficiently using CRISPR methods. For someone relatively early in his career, Theo is already making waves across the cell engineering space and there's great promise for the, his technique in the treatment of cancer and autoimmune diseases. We can't wait to speak with him and for you to join us again next time.